stories carry with them great power. They can transport us into the light and into the dark. And into a place in between, a land of shadows. It is in this land where the macabre and the strange reign. With tales of terror. Tales of hope. Tales of the whimsical. And the weird. These are stories told in the shadows. And we are the Shadow Storytellers. In our last episode of the Shadow Storytellers, we went back to the year 2002 and followed a group of teenagers into a seemingly ordinary but deeply unusual mall, where they were hypnotized by a corrupted video game and captured by Roland Buckman, the assistant manager of the Silver Metal Laser Fun Center. Today, we'll join them where we left them, inside the jaws of the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center, where the only way out is deeper into an abyss uncharted and unconfined by conventional space. Don't look into the light, but keep an eye out for the exit in the conclusion of The Last Time I Went to the Mall. I think one of the main reasons I became a horror fan is the simple fact that, when I was little, practically everything scared me. Big dogs. Swimming pools. Bugs. Quicksand. The world was full of dangers both imagined and real, and as soon as I could wrap my little mind around them, they filled me with fear. As I grew older, I began to approach my fears cautiously, understanding what was and wasn't justified, and that I didn't need to be afraid of everything. Chucky wasn't real. Most dogs didn't have it out for me. And contrary to what cartoons and 80s children's movies would have me believe, quicksand wasn't that much of a day-to-day problem. I approached scary movies as a way of confronting these unrealistic fears in a controlled fashion. This filtering process, however helpful it is, also has its downsides, as I found that it has a way of making those moments of profound, genuine, justified fear all the more acute in my memory. Thankfully, those moments have been few and far between, as I like to imagine they are for most people, but they are there all the same. That's the worst part, I think, about what happened at the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center. Every year those events get further away, and I can feel my memory of them fading ever so slightly. There are times when I think it would be easiest to just let them go away, fade into the ether so I can live my life free of the images, the sounds. I can feel them in the back of my mind, that they want to leave, almost as if the mall is summoning them back to where they belong. On those nights when I wake up trembling and sweating from an interrupted nightmare of that accursed mall and everything that came after, holding back a scream so I don't wake my wife, loosening my grip gets tempting. Very tempting. But it's times like this that I remind myself of the old adage, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. I cannot let those memories of what happened go. I cannot forget, because if I do, then I won't be able to deal with what this terrible place has done. So I don't forget, and I hold on to the nightmares and the fear. I try to remember them in as much excruciating detail as possible. I remember Will's birthday party. I remember that strange, hypnotically violent video game we played at the Silver Metal Laser Fun Center. I remember how we were attacked by the Silver Metal's assistant manager, Roland Buckman, something that felt so impossible for the man's insubstantial frame, but utterly undeniable in how it imprinted in my memory. I can remember all of these things clearly, but they are never what caused my nightmares. No. They are just a prelude to the events that haunt my dreams, because God help me. 
I remember what came after Roland single-handedly knocked me, Will, and Lindsay unconscious. I remember everything. On the whole, I've lived my life trying to avoid getting into fights, and have mostly held well to that. Don't get me wrong, like any hormonal youth, I got into my fair share of stupid schoolyard shoving matches, but nothing serious, and certainly nothing where anyone actually stood a chance of getting hurt. In fact, until Will's birthday party at the Silver Medal, the worst I'd ever gotten hurt was when I'd gotten the wind knocked out of me after falling out of a tree that Lindsay, Marco, and me were climbing when we were all nine. It hurt like hell, but I was fine, which is more than could be said for Marco after he jumped from an even higher branch to... rescue... me. For his gallantry, I made sure to sign the casts on his legs in particularly ostentatious fashion. It didn't make up for what had happened to him, but it was the best thanks I could think of at the time for his crude effort at saving my life. It's also likely that this was my way of confronting the pain that could have been mine if I hadn't landed just as I had, being thankful that I had managed to avoid the worst of it unlike him. I would have done the same for him, of course. As much as I wanted to avoid the pain, I would have done anything for them, because that was what friends did. The image of my giant, looping signature on Marco's leg casts floated lazily before my eyes as I slowly came to after Roland's attack. My head was pounding, the world spinning, and though I wanted to stay in the comforting darkness of unconsciousness, fear pulled my eyes open from a great need to know what exactly was happening to us. I was on my back, on the floor, buzzing and vibrating fluorescent lights above me. Yes, so far this made sense with the attack. Roland had punched us all out and knocked us to the floor. That made sense. The lights were moving. I was moving. Something insistently grabbing my leg. No, I wasn't lying on the floor. I was being dragged across it by my left leg. Skinny, pale, Roland Buckman was dragging me by one leg down a narrow, featureless mall hallway in one hand, while dragging Lindsay the same way with his other. Slung over his shoulders if he weighed no more than a pillow was Will, his tall frame and heavy muscles no help against the wiry assistant manager of the Silver Metal Laser Fun Center. I turned to look at Lindsay beside me. She had yet to fully regain consciousness, and with my head swimming, I couldn't find words easily yet. I tried to call to her, to reach out, but felt as if I were surrounded by cotton that prevented me from doing anything. The fluorescence above me flickered again, the hallway around us dropping into darkness briefly. When they flickered back to life, the hallway felt different. It looked the same, but I just knew that it wasn't, like there were walls behind these walls. Walls behind walls behind walls, stretching off into some ancient oblivion, some of them shuddering into existence before my eyes, with the flickering of these lights showing their surfaces to not be painted drywall, but cracked stone, etched with bas-reliefs of ancient societies long dead by our world's understanding. These were brief images that came into and out of existence for no more than the time it would take for a flashbulb to go off, but much like a flashbulb, they burnt an impression behind my eyes. Those shifting walls within walls within walls that promised so much beyond them past the existence of this mere shopping mall they temporarily dwelled within. They were enough to let the darkness take me, as I slipped back into the comforting certainty that was unconsciousness. Hey. It was a soft, far-off voice, familiar in a way I only faintly cared about. With words that were barely words, I muttered, Let me alone. 
Wake up, they whispered again, harsh and shaking me. I reached out to push them away, murmuring. I said, let me... A sharp slap smacked me across the cheek, forcing my eyes open just as Lindsay hissed, Wake up! My attention was sharper than it had been in that hallway, the pain in my head stronger than ever as I took in my new surroundings. We were in a small dark room, featureless save for a bench and a metal door with a small window in it. The only light in the room came from this small window, but it was enough to illuminate Lindsay's worried face as she crouched over me on the floor. I sat up slowly, groaning. Where? Where are we? Mall security, Lindsay said, standing up and looking nervously through the window. Briefly I was frightened for having gotten in trouble and wondering whether or not my parents had been called yet, but as jumbled memories sharpened into a terrible reality, I knew I had bigger things to worry about. Doors locked? I asked. Lindsay nodded, crouching next to me again. Yeah. If this is anything like the cell we got Riley out of, there's no way we're getting out of here without help from outside. I was stuck home with the flu during that particular adventure, but had heard the stories. Riley had once shoplifted from a gothy makeup store in revenge after one of the clerks called her attire slutty, and because the cause was righteous, Marco and Lindsay distracted a guard long enough for Will to sneak her out of security. It was what friends did. Shit, I said. Lindsay nodded. Shit's right. We're fucked if we don't find a way out of here. Something... Something weird is going on here. Weirder than normal, and worse than that, it's wrong. I'm not alone, right? You can feel it too, can't you? She wasn't alone. There was a definite wrongness in the air, but the way my head felt, I couldn't confirm this for her the way she wanted. Where's Will? I asked. Looking pale, Lindsay shook her head. I don't know. I thought you might... Carefully, I shook my head. Last time I saw him, Roland had him. Lindsay ran a hand through her hair. Fuck! How did he... Why did he... I mean, I knew Roland was a creep, but I didn't think he could. As if hearing some sound meant only for her, Lindsay looked up quickly, her eyes scanning the ceiling worriedly before she looked back at me. It, it's this place... Something about this place, it it made him... worse. That's the only explanation that makes any sense, if it's meant to make sense. What? I asked, reaching for the bench to steady myself and help me to my feet. Seeing what I was about to do, Lindsay's eyes went wide. Don't touch that! I looked at the bench incredulously. Why? Cautiously, Lindsay approached the bench and kicked it. As a basic metal bench, it should have made a dull thud, maybe with a hint of a clang as Lindsay's sneakers impacted against it, but the cacophony it produced was a mix of much, much more than that. I heard the sounds of screams, of groans, of the myriad people who had and would touch this bench in its existence, their sounds echoing through the cinder block walls for miles through passages my eyes could not perceive. What's wrong with this place? I groaned, forcing myself onto unsteady feet. Though my head still hurt like hell, it wasn't swimming in the pain that it had been when I was only barely conscious. There's a question we should have been asking a long time ago, Lindsay replied, peering out the window. 
The screams that had echoed out from the bench still rang in my ears, diminished to only one voice now, but distinct, far off, and surprisingly familiar. It took me a moment of shaking the cobwebs from my mind before realizing something. That's not an echo. That's outside, I said, as I listened to the high, indignant voice yelling angrily in the distance. Peering through the limited view that the door's window had to offer, Lindsay replied, I think you're right. Is that... Riley? I finished, suddenly certain. It's gotta be, Lindsay said. She's busting out her I-want-to-talk-to-the-manager voice. Well, that's good news, I replied. Riley was by far one of the most easygoing people I knew, even by stoner standards, but whenever we needed a distraction for one reason or another, she could pull out an excellent impression of an angry middle-aged lady. And if she was pulling that act now, that could only mean that rescue wasn't far off. Hey guys, I'm here to rescue you! Lindsay and I yelped as a familiar face slid in front of the window, with dark, curly hair, an easy smile, and a fairly large pair of glasses. Marco, I exclaimed, happy to hear the sound of the door unlocking, and even happier to see it open onto one of my oldest friends. I moved in to hug him, but he stopped me, explaining, Hugs later. We gotta get out of here. Tell me about it, Lindsay answered. Leaning against the wall as another stab of pain lanced through my skull, I asked, Where's Will? Marco craned his neck to look into our cell. He's not with you guys? No, I answered. We got separated after Roland attacked us. Marco's eyes widened. Riley said she saw Roland dragging you three off. I just thought she was higher than usual. We have to find him, I said. Storming toward the doors for the other holding cells, I nearly collapsed on my own wobbly feet. It was around this time that the word concussion came to mind, but with Will still unaccounted for, it wasn't one I could linger on for long. Marco caught me before I could fall. He said, And I'm with you on that one, man, but Riley can't do this for much longer, and the mall's closed, and weird shit's happening out there. His eyes were wide and shaky as he said this. While Marco had witnessed many of the oddities that the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center had to offer, I'd never seen him shaken by them like this before. Briefly, I wondered if I wanted to see what was happening beyond this cell. What kind of weird shit? Lindsay asked. A little unsteadily, Marco turned to me and answered, You'll see. Can you walk? Well enough, I said. Can you run? He continued. I'll find out. I said, sounding more determined than I felt. One way to put it, Marco said. You good, Linz? I'm good, she said, reaching into the pocket on her left hip and pulling out the mace canister that Roland hadn't thought to take from her. I'm very good, she finished with all the conviction of a movie action hero ready to go into battle. Good, Marco said, looping one of my arms around his shoulders. Though I was quite a bit taller than him, he was stronger, so this arrangement worked well between the two of us as he guided us down the hallway and toward the front of the security office. One more door still separated us from the front desk, but I heard Riley arguing as loudly as if she were standing right next to me. And how do I know that if you go looking into that lost and found of yours, that you'll actually bring back my purse? How do I know you haven't already taken everything out of it and sold it to all your security buddies, huh? 
This is an outrage. An outrage, I dare say. And if you don't grant me the satisfaction I demand, there will be consequences for you. Oh yes, there will be consequences. Although I couldn't see her through the door, I knew that her thick red curls were bouncing animatedly as she dressed down whatever poor schmuck security guard was on duty at the time. Lights flickered above us. Marco asked, We ready? I nodded. Lindsay confirmed, Ready. Marco put his hand on the doorknob. Okay, on three. One. Two. I didn't hear him say three as he threw the door open and the three of us spilled out into the front security office. Riley looked every bit as animated as I'd expected, and she barely waited for us to run out before turning on her heels and sprinting from the office. Lindsay wasn't far behind her, but Marco and me, we were the slowest. Though we did our best to keep up with the others, I couldn't help but look at the front desk security guard. Much like Roland Buckman, he was pale and sallow from years of exposure to the mall, with sunken-in eyes and faint gray sores around his mouth and balding scalp. Unlike Roland, the guard was quite fat, nearly spilling out of his rent-a-cop uniform as his body touched the desk in front of him and the black-and-white security monitors behind, and clearly less than interested in getting out of his chair. I looked at him straight on for a good second as we passed, at his disinterested, vacant eyes before turning to look toward the doorway before us. It happened when the guard was in my peripheral vision. One second he was the man I saw, the next second... There was still someone, or, more appropriately, something there, but from the corner of my eye it had become something exceptionally wrong in our world. The man was no longer a man but a melding of flesh and slime, a great slug-human hybrid with a lazily gaping, toothy mouth that drooped down to the surface of the desk, which had also become one with his slimy, sickly yellow body. Deep black eyes the size of billiard balls lazed on either side of his head, pulsing with each of his labored, wheezing breaths. Tendrils of slime connected his back to the security monitors, and while they looked more or less the same, they flickered with staticky images of what the man could see, and the chaotic, violent images that danced through his mind. I knew this without knowing why, but before I could get a better look at the slug guard, we were out the door and running down the nondescript hallway that Roland Buckman had dragged Lindsay and me down what felt like months ago. I couldn't feel the walls behind the walls anymore, but the fluorescent lights flickered with every step we took, giving the room an eerie strobe quality as we jogged down the straight, seemingly miles-long hall that stretched out before us. This place has really gone to shit, Riley said, turning around while she ran. We're getting out of here, yeah? Will, I moaned weakly. We gotta find Will. He's our friend. He's right, Lindsay agreed. Roland took him. Where? Marco asked nervously. We're not leaving Will, but how do we even know where to find him? We'll find him, I groaned, still not as helpful as I wanted to be. With that, the lights flickered more heavily than usual, and for a fraction of a second we were in a world of darkness. I could feel those non-existent walls beyond walls closing in on us in that darkness, the faintest hint of those screams from the bench in the holding cell. But when the light returned... All seemed to be more or less as it was. Save for the hall in front of us now turning a harsh 90 degrees to the left about 20 feet in front of us. Well, fuck, Lindsay said. I don't think we got another choice, guys, Riley said, licking her lips and jogging ahead. Peering around the corner, she added, It's... mostly clear. Mostly clear would have to do, though Lindsay, Marco, and me approached with a certain amount of caution as we cleared the corner. 
Once we got a good look, we understood what Lindsay was talking about. The hallway now ended thirty feet in front of us in a pair of double doors, each with a small window that gave us a look into the mall proper. It was an easy run between here and there, but not an unobstructed one. A woman in a mall janitor's uniform stood facing the wall on our right about halfway between us and the doors. Her crossed arms covered her face, but that did nothing to change the sounds of her crying, and the bright blue light that poured out from her face. With everything that we had seen and experienced, it was enough to give us pause, to make us wonder what kind of threat this woman might pose, and whether or not it was worth the risk to try and run past her. The scream we heard from beyond the doors was enough to snap us out of this indecision. Will, I murmured. Riley nodded in agreement. He's hurting bad. We gotta help him, Lindsay said. With that, we ran as one down the hallway, past the woman with the glowing face who, mercifully, stayed motionless and crying in place. Riley and Lindsay forced the doors open, letting the four of us into the mall beyond. I call it the mall at this point because it was, for all intents and purposes, a place we could recognize as representing the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center. It had locations that looked like their stores, lighting that felt similar, and the low, discordant music that would make it seem in every important way to be the same mall that we had all come into initially to celebrate Will's birthday. It could pass at a glance as the same place, and if you were careless, you might barely notice the difference. We, unfortunately, got much more than a glance. We stood on the third-floor walkway overlooking the mall's central rotunda. The domed glass above us sparkled and shimmered unnaturally, as if light from the night sky was having a difficult time passing through it, and the only light allowed through were the beams that wouldn't properly behave. The signage on all of the visible stores was in forgotten, ancient languages, their characters unknown to the human race, forever folding in on themselves in ways that would make one go mad if they tried to understand the names. I tore my eyes away from the stores to avoid this terrible fate, instead looking into the open rotunda below us. It still had the multi-story plastic Christmas tree that had yet to be taken down from the holidays, but its shimmering plastic was now an obsidian black that seemed to reflect none of the light around it, pulsing and bending with life like a great, fat serpent. And the worst? The worst of it was the people. I'd known that the mall had to be closed by this point, so the forty or so people in the rotunda must have been employees. They had to be for their pale complexions and graying sores, but that didn't explain the flickering, pale blue light that poured out of their empty eyes and lolling mouths as if the terrible fluorescence had been gestating inside of them and found now the perfect time to hatch. Or the fact that none of their feet touched the floor. All of them hovered some distance off the ground, from those whose tiptoes were barely a few inches above the floor to those whose heads nearly bumped the top of the glass dome. They hovered, mostly still save for a vibrating energy that tickled my bones and made my fillings ache. Some were scattered through the air above the mall's upper walkways, but most of them seemed to have gathered, floating in the rotunda, looking like the world's most twisted fish tank. It was easy to stare at them, to look into them and be completely and utterly transfixed. The flickering of their light, that faint thrumming vibration that shook me to my very core, it all made it oh so easy to forget just why we were here or what we were doing. The longer you looked, the easier it was to understand them, to know what their terrible purpose was and to simply want to join it. After all, once you understood, wasn't joining the only thing that made any sense in the face of such raw and unexplainable power? Who were we to try and face the horror within that flickering light? From the corners of my eyes, I saw that the others were struck by varying degrees of the same realization, but none as intensely as me. 
No doubt my concussion had something to do with this, leaving me particularly susceptible to the influence of the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center's dark powers, but in the moment I barely cared about what was and wasn't. I needed to join that light, to become a part of it. Another formless, bestial scream of pain I recognized as Wills snapped us from this terrible state as the four of us looked across the rotunda. He had been stripped naked and beaten, his hands tied to the railing. He was seemingly alone and crying out like a trapped animal. Please! Somebody help me! He called out. We ran around the curving walkway that lined the third floor of the rotunda, keeping our pace even as the floating, glowing employees of the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center twisted and turned, so each of them could watch us with their flickering eyes and mouths. There was no threat in their action, merely a dark curiosity, but it was unnerving all the same, as if the mall itself were watching us. Lindsay made it to Will first, though she stopped before she could get to him. Oh my god, she said, her voice shaky and sickened. As the rest of us caught up, it was hard to blame her. True to our initial glance from across the rotunda, Will was certainly naked and beaten bloody, but that was only a glimpse of a much bigger and more horrible picture as we got a better look at him. Will had been cut a number of times. None of the slashes were life-threatening, but they drew enough blood for whatever twisted purposes Roland had. Strange designs, glyphs and characters from one of the unknowable languages covered his body, all painted in his own blood, while half of his head had been roughly and bloodily shaved. Will was a big and vibrant guy, but he looked utterly broken down, a shell emptier than any of us had seen him in these past few months. When he finally looked at us, he shrieked fearfully, pushing himself up against the glass partition beneath the railing. Hey, 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 it's just us, Will. We gotcha, Riley said, crouching down beside him and stroking what was left of his hair. We gotcha. Hey, Marco. Still got that Swiss army knife? Yeah, Marco said, reaching into his pocket and tossing it to her. Riley caught it easily, flipping out its most formidable blade and slowly beginning to cut through the ropes binding Will's hands to the railing. She kept close to him, whispering softly and kindly into his ear in a way I never knew she had in her. Riley was someone more apt to tell dark jokes and start fights than she was to let her most sensitive side show, so it was a nice moment of warmth in a time where warmth seemed to be about as alien as anything else we were seeing. It gave us hope, and made it seem like getting out of here wouldn't be so difficult after all. Until Roland Buckman cleared his throat behind us. Well, 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 if it ain't some pissants looking to rend some best laid plans asunder again. Shaking with dread, Marco, Lindsay, and I turned around to face the silver medal Laser Fun Center's assistant manager. Seeing him here and now, it took everything I had not to cry out in fright. He looked every bit as gaunt and pale as he had before, and his face was still pocked by those strange gray sores. But if it was possible, he had only gotten worse since we last saw him. Roland's head lolled toward the left slightly, with his facial features drifting in that direction almost as if he'd had a stroke. The sores on his face were more pronounced and pulsed like tiny orifices, while his arms looked a good six inches longer than usual. Perhaps worst of all was his right leg. Over the past few months, he had had a pronounced limp on that side, but now his leg was bulging out to the side as if his hip had become separated from his body, while the leg itself was swollen and straining his pants. I didn't know quite what he was, but Roland Buckman certainly wasn't human anymore, if he ever was in the first place. We were all silent before him, which he took as an opportunity to slowly approach us. You're in the midst of something you can't understand. You know that, right? 
Roland asked, pushing his glasses up his malformed nose. You're in a whole world of trouble that you don't even know about, and you come here, into my house, and mess with my stuff? Not cool, pissants. Totally not cool. Will's not your stuff, Lindsay said, spiteful, holding up her mace canister. And if you get any closer, I'll use this. Roland smiled, but stopped in his tracks, putting his hands on his hips. Maybe you will. But have you asked the question, will it matter? Because I don't know if you've noticed, you sweet little thing, but you're in Big Roland's house now. The only reason any of this is happening is because it is allowed. I've seen some serious shit, but you've clearly lost yours, Riley said, helping Will to his feet. Oh, you need to let go of that boy right now if you don't want this to get any worse, young lady, Roland said, twitching his head slightly. He's got a purpose in all of this. You don't. I can do what I want to you and won't get punished. Punished by who? Punished by what? These were questions I felt compelled to ask, but couldn't. I wanted to save Will and escape as much as any of the others, but I was so tired. I needed some sleep, probably in a hospital, and I needed it soon. My friends were concerned with the more pressing matters, however. Yeah, we're going to have to pass on that, Marco shot back. Roland chuckled, starting forward slightly. Whether you consent or not ain't even a part of my concern, pissant, because that's not how things work around here. I looked at Riley, almost through cutting Will's ropes, and knew that if we allowed Roland to get any closer before she finished, we wouldn't be able to stop him from getting our friend. Fighting through my head injury, I tried to keep Roland distracted. How do they work around here? Roland stopped, then smiled. The smile kept going, curling up his cheeks to a point where I wished I hadn't made him smile at all. He had too many teeth, far too many teeth stretching up the sides of his cheeks, and considering how many had seemingly fallen out recently and created dark gaps in his smile, that was saying something. A sensible question. Good to see there's a few brain cells to go around among you, he said, pushing his glasses up his nose again. They stopped well short of their usual resting place, as his right eye had begun to bulge impressively from its socket, suddenly looking very much like a frog's throat. He continued, The way it works around here is like this. This place has wants, I fulfill them. And right now, it wants someone like your beefy friend there. It gets him, and I get what I want. And what do you want? I asked, looking to Riley, who had just freed Will's hands, then to Lindsay. She was about as nervous as I'd ever seen her, but she was ready for whatever move we were going to make. Roland barked with laughter, rocking his functioning hip from side to side. Why, power, my dear boy! Nobody ever makes a deal with eldritch entities for anything but, do they? Do you honestly think I made assistant manager at the Silver Metal Laser Fun Center on my own? No, 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 no. It's because I know how to give the mall what it wants. I gave it those twins... I gave it that little asshole who worked the photo place, and when I give it your friend today, I'll be manager, maybe even owner of the silver medal. He took a big step forward, pontificating. And from there, it's only uphill for- Get him! Lindsay yelled, emptying her mace in Roland's face. I couldn't say just what Roland Buckman was anymore, but whatever he was, he didn't like pepper spray one bit. He howled, grabbing at his face as the pain swept over him. 
It didn't look like he would be able to do much of anything to us at this point, and to me it made sense that we should just run. Lindsay, however, held fast to her initial get-him command and ran at Roland, kicking him square in the balls. If he was howling before, he was screaming as Lindsay's attack took him to his knees. I think the others were too distracted by what was going on to really notice, but with my eyes having fallen to Roland's swollen right leg, I couldn't help but hear a strange, squishy, cracking sound as he collapsed. Riley was quick to join Lindsay, running at Roland and punching him so hard in the side of his head it seemed she might just pop his bulging and now very red right eye clear out of his skull. Now fully freed, Will soon joined them too, shrieking and diving for Roland, punching and kicking him and looking every bit like a wild animal unleashed. I wanted to join them, to be better than this, and Marco probably would have as well, but as he was busy holding me up, he didn't dare make a move. After all, there was no way that Lindsay and Riley and Will would need help beating on Roland Buckman in his current state. Right? Whatever strength Roland had lost from Lindsay's initial attacks, he regained swiftly. Lashing his arms out, he easily tossed Will and Lindsay to the side. Riley quickly dodged his next swipe, but the one after it took her down. Without using his hands, Roland easily got back on his feet and walked over to Riley. Welp! It's a shame to lose a cute little thing like you, but you break the rules, you get punished! Roland declared, raising his good leg in the air with his foot squarely over Riley's head. The sickening image of Roland's unexpected strength coming down on Riley's head, no doubt crushing her like a watermelon, hit me hard and sent me stumbling forward towards him. I was possessed by an energy and speed I wouldn't have expected, one that threatened to split my own head open from the pain, but one I held no regrets for. I wouldn't let Roland Buckman kill my friend. Friends didn't do that. It was strange, watching him turn to look at me with nothing but pure surprise before I lunged for him. I don't think I cared whether I was going to die in that moment, just that Riley wouldn't, as my lunge was clumsy and slow and probably looked completely insane. Roland couldn't shift his uncomfortably swollen leg fast enough to dodge my attack as I fell forward. I wrapped my arms around that leg and let myself be carried by forward momentum, knocking him to the floor as I held on for dear life. Go! I shouted, slurring some of my sounds. Get out of here! No! Roland shouted, thrashing around on the floor. You pissants ain't getting away that easy! He kicked his bad leg wildly, no doubt looking to send me flying. I managed to hold on for dear life, not willing to let him kick me free if that meant he could hurt any of my friends. Imagine my surprise when I found myself flying through the air a fair distance away from Roland Buckman with his bloated leg still grasped firmly in my arms. I landed hard on the polished mall floor, passing beneath one of the floating, glowing employees as I roughly slid to a stop. I was confused, quite naturally, that I seemed to have ripped Roland's leg free with me. I was even more confused when the leg continued to pulse and writhe in my arms. The ragged stump where the leg had just been connected to Roland's body oozed a dark yellow slime that dripped onto me. It sizzled against my skin, burning rather intensely as I still held on to the thrashing leg. Welp, now you've gone and done it, Roland hollered after me. The sounds of struggle from the others stopped, soon replaced by screams and Marco yelling, What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck is that? I couldn't see what was causing all of the commotion, but I could make some good inferences. Soon, they weren't the only ones screaming, as the pain from my new burns had me join their chorus. Then the leg decided to scream with us. 
The stump broke open in a toothy mouth of flat, square, all-too-human teeth, while the gaping maw in the center sprouted a number of bluish-black tentacles that flailed in my face as it wailed a painful cry that still echoes through my darkest nightmares. At once the leg itself began to burst at the seams as countless limbs, some of them flailing tentacles, others chittering insectoid legs, broke through its sides and twisted around to hold on to me. Roland Buckman's leg was now a screaming, writhing centipede that seemed well and truly pissed off at me. And while I was frozen at the madness of it all, I knew that if I didn't do something before it was finished transforming in my arms, I would understand what those teeth felt like digging into my flesh. I kicked and thrashed, screaming and forcing that wailing, toothy maw away from my face. Mustering all of my limited strength in that moment, I managed to hurl it six, maybe eight feet across the floor. That distance was enough to daze it as it landed on its back. It cried a low, pitiful sound as it desperately tried to turn over and back onto its shuddering limbs. Hey now there, pissant, Roland cried out with indignation. Don't you go around hurting my leg now. There was a swift, heavy movement outside of my field of vision, and soon I felt a hand at my throat. It squeezed, hard, and soon I was lifted off the ground. I reached for the wrist grabbing me, thrashing, kicking, trying to breathe, but when my vision cleared enough to see the beast holding on to me, I begged for the sweet darkness of unconsciousness. For a man who had recently removed his own right leg, Roland Buckman was pretty spry. The stump where his leg had been had regrown a trio of glistening, black and green, spider-like legs that easily held his weight, carrying him along as he held me aloft by the neck. I try to do what I'm supposed to, he spat in my face. Shapes moved beneath his skin, changing the contours of his skull as his eye continued to bulge and his chin widened. Roland Buckman was becoming something, but what that was, I could not be sure. I watch you who need watching, he continued, getting madder by the moment. I pick the sacrifices that need sacrificing. They told me your friend needed sacrificing, but I bet you'll do mighty fine too. By the throat, he carried me to the balcony railing, toward the floating people who seemed to all be watching us through their unseeing, flickering eyes. I felt my back press against it, and my fearful eyes dropped to the abyss below, for it truly was an abyss now. What should have been a three-story fall that would break my neck against the mall's floor was something altogether more nightmarish. I could see the floor, to be sure, but beyond it there was darkness. Darkness and gleaming stars that stretched on into infinity. These were no ordinary stars, but stars watched by eldritch, alien eyes with understandings of this universe far more intimate than my own. I knew this without knowing why, as understanding flowed into me from the darkest crevices of the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center. I looked back into Roland's terrible, mismatched eyes, knowing that he understood everything I had just learned and oh so much more. His smile curled further with our silent, shared understanding of this fact. It curled to the corners of his face until his chin cracked down the middle and split wide into a pair of clasping mandibles. Where a tongue should have been, the lower portion of his face was overtaken by twisting, slimy tentacles that thrashed out and reached for me. "'You see?' he said, pushing me further over the precipice. "'You see the need for sacrifice, don't you, pissant?' Without fully understanding why, I simply answered him with a strangled and weak, "'Yes.' "'Good,' Roland said. "'Then maybe you aren't such a piss—' There were screams behind Roland. Screams and insistent strong hands grabbing my feet. Lindsay brought her clasped fists down together on Roland's arm, breaking it at the elbow. He dropped me against the railing, and I almost fell over. 
Taking breaths through his now weakened grip, I watched as those shimmering stars below summoned me, begged for me. But those insistent hands, they stopped that. Marco and Riley pulled at my feet, wrenching me from Roland's grip and dropping me to the balcony floor. They pulled me to my feet just in time for me to see Lindsay and Will throwing their weight at whatever Roland Buckman was now. He screamed an impossibly high-pitched, animalistic scream of fear as he teetered over the edge of the railing. "'Tis saints!" With that one final, defiant cry, a gravity we actually understood overtook him, and he fell over the railing. We all rushed to the edge to watch him fall, whether it was from grim fascination and fear or just wanting to see him die, I couldn't say, but he fell screaming for what felt like an impossibly long time. "'It'll be over when he hits the floor.' I remember thinking, focusing on these words, needing to believe them. It'll be over when he hits the floor. It wasn't over when he hit the floor. That floor I could see through shattered like glass, its great shards allowing him passage into the void beyond. His scream filled the air at a deafening volume, making us clasp hands over our ears as the alien light of those flickering stars pierced through him, tearing at his body and transforming him into the light of these faraway celestial bodies. As the last traces of Roland Buckman disappeared, the shards of floor reformed, and the abyss dimmed into the mall's tiles once more. The screaming, however, didn't stop. No, Roland's screams had been replaced by a deeper, louder scream. The scream of the mall itself. Between my concussion and Roland Buckman nearly choking the life out of me, I was quite weak by this point. Even beyond the despondent screams of the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center and the certainty that those floating bodies were starting to close in on us with the flickering lights hiding in their eyes and mouths, I could have passed out here and let whatever might happen, happen. We have to get out of here, Riley yelled. Agreed, Lindsay shouted back, grabbing me under the shoulders along with Marco as they helped me along. I remember the five of us running as it seemed the entire mall began to close around us like a great digestive organ. A great darkness overcame my vision with only flashes of what horror surrounded us during our flight imprinting in my memory. Marco pushing away some dark, toothy beast that had grown out of a vending machine. A blue, flickering light seemingly as bright as the sun itself, pouring from the Passion for Art store. We knew better than to look, but Lindsay's gaze slipped briefly to the light and she kept screaming long after she looked away. A mad sprint toward the exit, our way nearly blocked by eight-foot-tall figures in bright white robes, their feet not touching the ground and their oversized heads made of swirling darkness, blacker than the blackest of black holes. The next thing I remember clearly was the five of us stumbling out into the parking lot. The world was sharper, more real than it had been in some time. We collapsed on a grassy median, looking back only briefly at the now completely and utterly ordinary-looking mall. All of us were strung out and silent, panting or coughing, or in Will's case, vomiting after all that had happened. I don't know if the others shared the same feeling that I had, but mixed with all the terror, I felt a sudden intense elation that could not be brought down by any further fear. We had done it. We had won. We had stared into the abyss within the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center and we had escaped. I laughed. I laughed so high and loud the others looked at me as if I might break at any moment. I did this until I felt the need to turn to the side, vomit, and finally pass out. I wish I could tell you that this was one of those stories where we made a vow then and there for the five of us to take down the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center's evil once and for all. But, 
Well, it isn't. In the moments after we got our bearings and were finally able to talk, we found Marco's car, piled in, and made our way to the hospital to deal with our assortment of wounds. Our parents were called, which wasn't fun, and the cops as well. We explained what happened to us in the best detail that we could, but with memories from within the mall already fading, like a candle running out of wick, what we could explain was choppy and sounded mad. A token investigation took place as to what happened in the mall, and while no supernatural dealings were confirmed, there was enough suspicion around Roland Buckman and his connection to nearly a half-dozen disappearances in the vicinity of the mall that no one directed much suspicion of wrongdoing toward us. A search went on for some time afterward, but naturally neither Roland nor any of the other missing were ever found. In time, the memories of what happened at the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center faded enough to be no more than bad dreams. And as it always happens in the wake of something terrible occurring, life went on sooner than expected. Our wounds were bandaged, our broken bones healed, and we went back to our teenaged lives. The five of us remained the best of friends for the rest of high school, but upon graduating we went our separate ways. We went to college, had careers, built families, and though we kept in touch the best we could, we were never quite the same friends we used to be. I will always cherish the memories I made with Lindsay, Will, Marco, and Riley, but I can't say that I'm unhappy with where life has led me, either. None of us ever returned to the mall, but that's hardly a surprise, is it? I think the others actively wanted to forget, but I always fought that instinct, trying to remember, trying to figure out what had happened. But with answers few and far between, I haven't gotten much more enlightenment than what I've shared here. Whatever we have forgotten, though... I'm certain the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center remembers well. It was 2006 when I received a strange letter from Will. It was welcome at first, as his infrequent letters since joining the army were something I always looked forward to. Stationed in Iraq, he told me about how, recently, on the darkest nights, he found himself hearing Roland Buckman's screams. They started off soft at first, but he thought he could hear them louder every day. Though he wrote about them with a tone of joking bravado, I could tell they truly frightened him. Having had plenty of my own moments of memories of that night hitting me, I didn't think much of it at the time. Not until I heard from Will's parents a few days later, anyway, when I found out that Will had been killed by a roadside bomb. It was a coincidence, I thought. A horrible fucking coincidence that life throws at us sometimes to remind us that anyone, no matter how strong they seem, can go at any time. It was 2010 when I learned it was far from a coincidence. I was in town visiting Lindsay, taking her out for some coffee to give her a break after the recent birth of her second child. We were toasting good times and remembering Will when she made a passing reference to swearing that she'd randomly heard Roland's screams once or twice recently. This raised hairs on the back of my neck, but I didn't put it together as a problem just yet, and certainly not one I needed to tell her about. No... I didn't put that together until Lindsay was hit by a car and killed while crossing the street two days later. I knew then without knowing why that the mall was coming for us. We had seen too much, understood too much about what it was hiding, what secrets existed within its flickering lights, and even if we never wanted to talk about it, it was cleaning up shop. I started doing my research into the mall's history then, hoping for an out, hoping to find some way of saving Riley and Marco and myself before it came to claim us, too. The mall took Marco in 2015.
I hadn't talked to him recently enough to know if he'd heard the screams, but when he broke his neck falling down a flight of stairs at a New York City subway station, I knew that too was no coincidence. It's only Riley and me left now. Though she doesn't remember like I do, she's scared, and I know we don't have much time left. She hasn't heard the screams yet, thankfully. I haven't been so lucky. I heard them the other day while brushing my teeth, a faint cry in the distance, but unmistakably the sound of Roland Buckman plummeting into the abyss. I don't know if I can fix this. I don't know if I can save myself or my oldest living friend. But as Roland's screams come closer and closer to me, I know I have to do something. Maybe Roland was right. Maybe the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center does demand a sacrifice. Maybe it's still hungry because we fed it Roland when he wasn't what it wanted. And maybe... Maybe if I offer it someone instead of us, the two of us will be in the clear. Plenty of people still go to the mall, after all. And people barely pay attention to disappearances at the Braywood Courtyard Shopping Center. I'm sure I can find someone who might satiate its hunger so it will spare our lives. It won't be easy, and I don't know how exactly I'll live with myself afterward, but if it comes to saving my and Riley's lives in exchange for a stranger's... God forgive me. I'll do what I have to do to save us, because that's what friends do. The Last Time I Went to the Mall Part 2 was written and performed by Matt Carter. Narration was provided by Fiona J. Articinel. This episode was edited by Matt Carter and Fiona J. Articinel. The Shadow Storyteller's theme, written and performed by Dennis Ticinel. The Shadow Storyteller's artwork by Kristen McQuiggan of Drop Dead Designs. For more information on the Shadow Storyteller's podcast and our other fiction works, please visit our website at theshadowstorytellers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe for more information on upcoming episodes. We hope you had fun, and we'll see you again soon.